Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Rebecca, thank you so much for reading that. Um, I realize, you know, I, I honestly, I thought I was going to be reading the scripture. And so I like, I feel bad that I gave you like Mephibosheth and Zeba and Makir and just all these. The trick with Old Testament names is just say it fast because nobody knows really what you're saying. So you just say it fast. It's great. So it works out great. Um, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me. Um, I'm a pastoral intern at McLean Presbyterian Church. I've been there for two years, and actually I'm going into my last year, and so um, trying to finish up seminary and get ordained and all that good uh, Presbyterian stuff. And so um, I've actually, my wife and I, we live just down the street in Reston, and so we've wanted to come visit a number of times, but just because of the busyness at church and whatnot, um, we haven't been able to. And honestly, I thought, we were, we were literally talking, that's my wife, Sarah, raise your hand. Yeah, she loves when I do this to her. And, um, but I was telling her just a couple, uh, a couple months ago, I was like, man, we need, we need to get a Sunday off so we can go, f- go visit King's Cross. And I was expecting that to be a Sunday where I could just come and kind of hang out and meet people and whatnot. But this works too, you know, it accomplishes it. So thanks so much for having me. Um, it's, it's really an honor, pleasure to be here. Um, I actually uh, really came to faith and was baptized in a church plant. And so being here this morning, uh, was, it's, it's very good for my soul. And so... Um, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to, to work on us this morning, and then we'll go ahead and get moving here. Father in heaven, we thank you that we get to do this. God, that we get to gather together as your people around your word, God, and that you speak to us, that by your spirit, you speak through your word. And God, you've been doing that for thousands and thousands of years, Lord, and we thank you that you continue to do it. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the truths that you have for us. And that God, um, the amazing thing is that your spirit, um, it takes this word that is general and you make it specific for each and every one of us. So God, would you do that this morning? Would you change us and make us more and more into the image of your son so that we would leave more like Jesus than when we came in? God, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So um, Paul, your your pastor Paul, uh, he was at General Assembly and I was actually at General Assembly this, this week as well. Um, and so I go to, I go to General Assembly, and so I fly in on Tuesday. It was out in Dallas, and you can imagine how hot it was in Dallas. And fly, I fly there. It was a busy week, a lot busier than I thought it was going to be. Um, I went as, since I'm not ordained, I went just as an observer. Um, and if you've ever been to General Assembly, it's not necessarily the most fun thing to observe, but it, it was good. It was good for me to learn and kind of see the process and how things went. Um, but it was a busy week, and then come Thursday night, I, we were flying out, the group that I was with from McLean, we were flying out on Friday. And actually, um, the night before, um, one of our other staff members was telling me, hey, JT, go ahead and log in to Southwest and go ahead and pick your, pick your, uh, your seat. That's what you have to do. I've never flown Southwest before, and so I'm kind of learning the ropes. And so he tells me, go ahead, and, go ahead and log in. And so I tried to log in Thursday night. It was like around 8.30 or something, and it, I kept getting an error message. And uh, we were getting ready to go into another business meeting, and so I kept getting an error message, and so I didn't know really what to do, and so I kind of just let it, let it pass by, and I told myself, you know, when the business meeting's over, I'm going to just not worry about it, or when the business meeting's over, then I'll worry about it. But the business meeting ended up going until like 1 a.m. We get out at 1 a.m., finally fall asleep. Uh, the next morning was crazy. We're having to get to the airport, trying to get to uh, Whataburger, uh, which is a big Texas thing. Has anybody ever been to Whataburger? Anybody? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, we went like twice in the span of three days. And so, um, so we're trying to make sure we get to Whataburger for breakfast. And, uh, 
And so we get to the airport, and I, I figure in my mind, I'm kind of going through my mind, and I'm like, you know what, it's not a big deal. We'll just go to the, the, the flight counter, and I'll talk to whoever the flight representative is, and she'll, she'll take care of it. So I go up there, and I tell her, I say, hey, I'm having some trouble. I'm trying to log into the app, and it's not showing up. And she says, no worries, just go ahead and give me your ID. So she takes my ID, and I kind of hear her clicking away and, um, and, and working on it. And then she says something, she says the thing to me that you never want to hear when you're at the airport, which is, I can't find your ticket, right? She says, and I'm, and I'm like, what, what do you mean you can't find my ticket? She says, I, I, can't, you're, I can't find your reservation. I said, what do you mean you can't find my reservation? And she says, you know, it's, it's not on here. You're not on this flight. And so all these thoughts start going through my mind. My, so my wife's a nurse, and so I knew that that evening she had to, to work. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, what am I going to do? You know, my wife's been home with the, the kids for the last three days. You know, she's obviously going nuts. And so I need to get home and kind of relieve her. And so she go to work that evening. And so all these things are going through my mind. And, uh, and so she says, go ahead and look up, you know, the, the flight representative says, you know, can you look up the email and find it? And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, let me look it up. Because I remember seeing both flights. And so I pull up on my phone. And I say, yeah, here's the first one on Tuesday from DCA to Dallas, Love Field. And then here's the, here's the one on Friday. And, I'm, and I say, yeah, you know, I, I have it right here. And she says, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, it says Friday uh, the 26th. Um, yeah, flight, flight from, from here to DCA and on the, on the 26th. And she goes, she looks up at me and she goes, you said Friday the 26th? And I said, yeah. She goes, it's Friday the 28th. And so I had scheduled a flight not for June 28th. I had scheduled a return flight for July 26th, right? And so I start, everything's, you know, I'm like, I'm going to call my wife and be like, hey, babe, General Assembly's going to run a little late this year, right? <laughs> We're going to be here for a little while. There's a lot of business to attend to. Presbyterians, we've got work to get done. And uh, she, she says, she quickly, we realize the issue, and she quickly springs into action. This is the flight representative. And she says, don't worry about it. Let me take care of it. She starts, she jumps on the phone. She starts clicking away on her computer and she figures over the course of about 15 minutes, she's reassuring me. She's, she's just being super nice. And she ends up finding me some way, shape or form. She finds me a seat on the flight that I need to go to, right? The best flight representative I've ever had, right? She shows me an act of kindness, right? She could have had a different reaction, but she was kind with me. And this was just a small act of kindness. And as we're getting going this morning, let me ask you, can you think of right now a moment where you've had somebody give an act of kindness to you? Just take, take a quick second. Think about maybe in this last week, maybe somebody was kind to you. Just take a couple quick seconds. Just think about it. Just a small act of kindness. I don't believe that you guys are thinking about it because you guys are looking at me. <laughs> So there's small acts of kindness, but then there's also big acts of kindness. So one more story, and then we'll get in our text. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married for 10 years. And in the early parts of our marriage, um, we, were, we were living out in Seattle. And we, we were just struggling financially. And we hadn't said anything to our community group. We, had a, we were part of a really big community group, part of a church with a really big community group. And we hadn't said anything to them. And we were kind of just kind of plugging along. And one morning... Uh, my wife calls me, because it was the day after our community group, my wife calls me, and she says, hey, babe, I, I got to talk to you about something. I said, okay, what's up? Because I'm, I'm at work. And she says, I opened my Bible this morning, and an envelope fell out, and there was a, there was a card, a Christmas card, that was completely blank, and it just said, I felt like the Lord was, I felt like the Lord was telling me to give this to you. 
Remember, we hadn't said anything to anybody. I'm not going to tell you the amount, but what I can say is that what they gave, it's a sacrifice to give, right? And I can't explain how huge of a blessing it was to us in that moment. That was a big act of kindness, right? This morning, we're going to be digging into a story about kindness. And specifically, I've titled this message, The Kindness of the King. And we have really two purposes as we're working through our text this morning. The first purpose is to consider what it means to be kind by the example that we see. So what it means to be kind by the example that we see. The second purpose this morning is to consider whether there is more to this story than just an example. Whether, whether this story speaks about something beyond itself. Okay, so those are our two purposes. Um, if you have your Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 9, that's where we're going to be. be. Um, just working through verses 1 through 13, like Rebecca read for us. However, you need some backstory. And I, I firmly believe that this passage that we're reading is one of the best stories in all of Scripture. It's amazing. It's one of the best stories, best narratives in all of Scripture. Um, but we need backstory to fully appreciate it. So, a little backstory. There was a king named Saul, and Saul was a bad king. He wasn't a good king, right? Um, but Saul had a son named Jonathan. And there was also a guy named David. And David had been chosen by God and had been anointed by God to become the new king because God was taking the kingdom of Saul, was he was taking the kingdom of Israel away from Saul. Now, you would expect that Saul's son, Jonathan, would hate David because in this time and place, right, when Saul would eventually die or, or something would happen to Saul or he would relieve his crown, Jonathan is the one that should take over. That's how things worked, right? It was a monarchy. But Jonathan realized that God had anointed David to be king. And so actually, Jonathan and David were really, really close friends. Really, really close friends. So much so that Jonathan realized this, this, this working of, of God on David's life, and he actually made a covenant with David. And so we see this covenant. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it for you. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 13 through 17. And this is what it says. This is, it begins with Jonathan speaking. He says, and he's speaking to David, he says, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a or and then it goes on and, and explains, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. So David and Jonathan have this close relationship. Okay? Unfortunately, many, many years later, Saul and Jonathan end up being killed in a battle against the Philistines. So both Saul, which God had, had said was going to happen, and Jonathan are killed in a battle. Okay? And David becomes king, which was what God was, all, was planning all along. Right? So David becomes king. And when David becomes king, everything begins going well for him. Okay? The nation of Israel is, is doing wonderful. When different, uh, the Philistines and different battles come against David, David fights against them and he's victorious. The, the land is prosperous. The people are happy. So much so that the, the chapter right before the chapter that we're going to be into today in chapter 9, in chapter 8, verse 15, it says this, and it kind of gives you an idea of how David is doing. It says this. It says, so David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. So everything's going well for David. Everything's going perfect, ideal, exactly what a king would want. And then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
beginning in verse 1. Um, I have three points that we're going to make this morning. My wife loves, she's a note taker in church. And so if you're a note taker, this is, this is why I do this. It's because it's very easy to take notes. So she, she always tells me when I'm working on a sermon, she's like, hey, remember the note takers? I'm like, okay, okay. So three points for you. Um, and they all start with R, again, for, for you note takers. First one, the king remembers. The king remembers. Second point, the king renews. The king renews. Third point, the king reunites. So the king remembers, the king renews, the king reunites. So if you look at chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there still anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. So now we have David. David's hanging out, and David says, you know, he remembers this covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And so he basically says, is there anybody from the house of Saul that I can go to? And they say, yeah, there's Ziba. So they call in Ziba. Now, something you have to understand about Ziba's response, and this is going to be important later when we get to our, our, our other character, Ziba's response shows something about the political climate in, in that period, in antiquity. Because Ziba's response, when he says, are you Ziba? He says, Ziba's response is, I am your servant. And what you should know about this is that Ziba is scared. Why is Ziba scared? Because transitions of power were bloody affairs. Right? We see this in Bible times. We see this throughout uh, ancient Rome. We even see this currently in the world, where that whenever different kings would become uh, would take over power or, or whatever, they would end up killing the family and the administration from before. Why? So that nobody would be able to have claim to the throne against that king. And so this was a regular practice where when a king would take over, he would kill the family members of the previous king so that he could have complete control. So it makes sense that when Ziba's summoned in here, Ziba says, I'm your servant. No, we're good, we're good, right? I'm your servant. He wants to remain friendly to the king. Um, it's one of the beautiful things about the United States of America, right, that we have a peaceful transition of power, right? That it's not... It's not uh, like it was in Bible times. So David asks Ziba a question. It says, in starting in verse 3, it says, And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. So David's response to da or Ziba's response to David is, yeah, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. And he, he's, he's crippled, um, but yeah, he's, he's the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, right? Grandson of Saul. And a little backstory. So Mephibosheth is kind of our main character in this. And I think, honestly, like, Rebecca, you did a great job. Um, but I feel like, I feel like I'm going to say Mephibosheth a ton of times in this sermon. I feel like there should be bonus points for that because it's a hard name. So when you tell Paul how I did, bump me up a couple points. Thank you. Um, Mephibosheth, we first hear about him in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And this is what it says about Mephibosheth. And it's really just this random point in chapter 4. Um, and it doesn't elaborate on it. It just states it. This is what it says. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell 
and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So before we go on, we need to understand the complexity of his life. We need to understand the complexity of his life. So he's obviously much older now. But I want you to think about this. Because too often we can read scripture and we cannot, rather than just looking at the facts of scripture, we need to actually get into the humanity of it. And we need to think about that these characters, we need to realize these characters are real people with real emotions and real feelings. And if we can get into what the emotion of, what their likely emotion was, we can actually, it can lead to us having a better understanding of what the scripture is saying. And so think about, think about Mephibosheth's life. He's five years old. And I was thinking about this as I was kind of working through this. So he's five years old. His father, Jonathan, is killed in battle. His grandfather, Saul, is killed in battle. Okay? And he's five years old. And so remember, at five, so my, I have three kids. My oldest is seven. Five-year-old, at that age, it's a really unique age. Anybody who's a five-year-old or hangs out with five-year-olds, you know, in the, in the nursery or whatever, or not nursery, but children's program knows this. Five-year-olds are at a unique age where they're old enough to remember things, right? Like my son, Josiah, he, he remembers so many things that I, you know, many things that we like wish he didn't remember, right? These random things that happened, right? But he remembers them. And uh, you're old enough to remember stuff, and yet you're young enough to not fully be able to process it. And so this is where Mephibosheth is at. At five years old, his father is killed in battle. His grandfather is killed in battle. And because of the way transition of power works in that, in that time, and remember, he's five years old. He doesn't understand how this stuff works. But because of how everyone else does, his nurse, being gracious, realizes what could happen to him, picks him up in haste, and is running frantically to leave the kingdom so that he'll be safe. And in her haste, she drops him, and it cripples him for life. So that's how he begins at the age of five. And now think about the reality of the cultural view of disability in this age. Okay? The cultural view of disability in this age is so much different than the way we view it. And what I mean by that is in this time period, they viewed somebody who was disabled, so somebody that was blind, somebody who was crippled, somebody who was deaf, they viewed it as somebody who had been cursed by God because of sin. Either their sin their own sin or, or their family member's sin. So it was a judgment. If there was somebody who was blind or there was somebody who was deaf or there was somebody who was crippled, it was a judgment from God. And you even see this in the Gospels. In John 9, verse 2, you see the disciples uh, living into this, this, this uh, cultural belief. They say to him, they say to Jesus, they say, Rabbi, they're looking at a blind man, and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, they, they don't even... They don't even ask the question, right? Is it because of sin that this man is blind? No, no, no. They, this is their culture. Of course it is. That's what they believe. And remember Jesus' response? This is Jesus' response. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but what? But so that the works of God may be revealed in him. That's why he was blind. But so the works of God may be revealed in him. But this is the, this is the culture that Mephibosheth is growing up in. And so Mephibosheth, he's physically lame. He's obviously experienced discomfort, difficulty all his life. He's, been, he's likely been mocked because of how he's grown up. He has the mental anguish of being told that he's cursed, being told that he's received what he's received because of sin, either his own sin or his family's sin. And he's likely believing himself that this is a just punishment. Remember, this is a guy whose parents were killed or whose family was killed when he was five. 
So he's likely grown up believing that he's cursed. He's likely grown up believing that he deserves the judgment of God on his life. And that's what he's living. If there were to be any more doubt, his name, Mephibosheth, in Hebrew, the, the second part of his name, Bosheth, actually means shame. So Bosheth actually means shame. So this is the, this is the situation that as Mephibosheth goes into the kingdom, goes into David, and goes stand before David's throne. If, if you're Mephibosheth, you're likely thinking, my life has been a life of anguish and despair and, and being cursed. And now I'm going to go before the king and the, ki- and the cherry on top is now I'm going to be killed. The king is looking for the other people in Saul's household, and here it is, right? The, my time has run out. Here it is. It makes sense why he, he throws himself to the ground and pays homage to King David. Our story continues in verse 6. It says, And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered him, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. And shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth receives kindness. When he was expecting judgment, he receives, receives the kindness of the king. And this kindness plays itself out into everything. He receives Land, he receives servants, he receives food, and quite possibly more importantly, he receives friendship. Friendship with the king. If you remember, our second purpose this morning is not just to learn about kindness, but to ask the question, does this story go past itself? Does this story point to something greater than just itself? And we know that it does. Because the reality is, is that this story is not just about Mephibosheth, but this story is about us. It's about everyone. We are Mephibosheth. And we're Mephibosheth because our sin has separated us from relationship with the king. Our sin has separated us from relationship with God. And even more so, there's nothing we can do about it. We're lame like Mephibosheth. We're standing outside of the kingdom. And, too, and so often, we're like Mephibosheth, likely believing that if we go to the king, we're going to receive judgment. If we go to the king, we're going to receive destruction. We've lost everything. And yet, although Mephibosheth points to us, David, who is a great king, points to an even greater king. David points to King Jesus. Because King Jesus restores everything back to us. Just like everything was restored back to Mephibosheth, everything in Christ is restored back to us. Although our sin has separated us from God, the Father, Christ Jesus came, died on the cross for your sins. And so by belief in his name, we can be brought back to the table of the king. We, like Mephibosheth, can have everything restored to us. 
One of my, my pastor's mentors, something he says all the time, and it comes from Ephesians 1.3, which goes so well with this, 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 um, this section of Scripture in, in 2 Samuel. It says, Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. My mentor, he always says, everything is yours in Jesus. Everything is yours in Jesus. Everything is restored back to you. And so we find ourselves at the final part of, of, of our chapter in chapter 3. We kind of move into this, this section where we've, we've dealt with the king remembering his covenant with Jonathan. We've dealt with the king renewing, uh, renewing Mephibosheth to his table and restore, restoring him. And the final point is that the king reunites. And in, in verse 11, it says this. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Or sorry, Micah. Eh, it doesn't, eh. Micah, Micah, you know. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So what does the king do? king doesn't, doesn't just restore Mephibosheth. The king brings Mephibosheth into his family. And he eats now at the king's table. He's not defaced, but he's brought into the family. He's not uh, despised. He's brought in as a son. And we see in verse 11, it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And this means for us that God makes us part of his family. God doesn't wipe away your sin. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God doesn't just wipe away your sin and then you get a redo. God doesn't just wipe away your sin and say, okay, do better next time. No, God makes you part of his family. God makes you, he makes sons and daughters of those who used to be his enemies through Christ. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel is that you don't just sit as some neutral party now that needs to try better, but no, you're part of the family of God given the Spirit of God that now equips you to follow God in every area of life. Two points of application before I close. The kindness of the king. If you notice, um, I did not title this message the kindness of a king, but the kindness of the king. Kindness of the king. Because the kindness of King Jesus, it changes us. It changes us, and it changes in two ways. The first way it changes us in teaching us how to love others because we ourselves have been loved. Because we've received the kindness of Christ, we now can be kind to others. And let me, let me just kind of rabbit trail here. One of, you need to realize, one of the greatest evangelistic tools that you have is kindness. One of the greatest. I mean, almost every, single, almost every moment of evangelism that I've had with somebody and, and, and especially as I've seen people come to Christ through evangelism, has been by being kind. It's been by starting with kindness, right? And so we need to be people that because we've been shown kindness, by God's grace, we are kind. And this works its way out in a number of different ways. Um, it can work its way out with your neighbors. Be kind, right? It can work, it out, work its way out with your friends, with your family. Be kind to each other. And, and especially this can work, and this is this is. My own little pet peeve because if you, when I was in college, I, I was a, a waiter at restaurants, right? Um, because so, so, so easily we can be kind to those who it can kind of affect us. You know, like we can be kind to our neighbor and they can be kind back to us. We can be kind to our family and they're kind back to us. But let me ask you, did Mephibosheth have anything to offer King David? 
No. He, he was crippled. He remained crippled. He had nothing to offer King David. Just like how, to be honest, we have nothing to offer Jesus. But he loves us. Brings us into his family. Sits us at, our, at his table. Prepares a meal for us. We eat and enjoy his fellowship. And so what can sometimes happen is we can just be kind to those who it can benefit us. But what about um, people that work in service industries, right? Maybe you're a waiter at the restaurant. Are you kind to your waiter at the restaurant or your waitress? Are you kind to the airplane attendant? Are you kind to the whoever it may be that you come in contact with? Kindness is a huge tool for evangelism. And kindness is what, what comes from a heart that's been changed by the gospel. Secondly, the second point of application is the kindness of the, of the king changes us to love the king for who he is. And not just to love the things he gives us, not to just love the spiritual blessings he gives us, but to love the king. Final story from scripture this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 19. And this is the final point that we even find, we hear anything else about Mephibosheth. This is the last, last little story about Mephibosheth. So you're getting his entire life this morning. And uh, again, a little backstory. Some things don't go well for David. And one of David's sons, Absalom, ends up basically leading a rebellion against King David. David. So, so much so that King David has to flee. So King David flees. And while he's fleeing, he runs into our buddy Ziba, the servant, remember? And when he runs into Ziba, Ziba says to him, or he says to Ziba, Where, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba says to him, oh, oh Mephibosheth, yeah, yeah, he, he basically... Um, he said that, you know, finally uh, the kingdom's going to be brought to his father, Jonathan. And so, yeah, he's, he's back home. He's, he's excited that this is all happening, right? This is a paraphrase, obviously. Um, and, this is, and so David goes away for a while. He ends up coming back. And when David comes back, this is the interchange that he has with Mephibosheth. And we realize that Ziba had been lying about what Mephibosheth was, was doing. So this is what happens. Verse 24, chapter 19, says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. Then King David says this, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. Mephibosheth goes on, he says, He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord is like the angel of God. Do therefore whatever seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. You would think that Mephibosheth's response in this moment, we have one more verse to read, and this is the kind of big point. Um, you would think that Mephibosheth's response to this would be, what? Ziba, right? You rat, what have you done, right? Now I've got to split my land with this servant who lied about me? You would think that, that he, would, he would kind of get mad at King David or get mad at Ziba? You think that would be his response? But no, this is, what, this is Mephibosheth's response. And it shows a heart that's been changed by the kindness of the king. Look at this in verse 30. It says, and Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my Lord the King has come safely home. Let him take it all. I don't, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is the King is home. That's what, I'm, that's what my heart is after. So the question this morning is, for those of you who have been, we've all been shown the kindness of King Jesus. The question is, has your heart been changed? Has your heart been changed to love the King 
and love others. The gospel fuels us. The good news of Jesus fuels us to be able to do that. With that, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we were broken. We were dead in our sin. But God, you, as a loving father, sought us out. You called us by name. And you brought us close. You brought us into your family. You have shown us kindness. You have shown us love through your son, Jesus. And Lord, it's a love that costs you dearly. And so, Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing. And God, we pray that our hearts would be changed by the truth of your gospel. We pray that we would be people of kindness in our communities. God, we pray that our hearts would, would desire uh, not just the things that you give us, but God, that we would desire you. We would desire uh, an abiding and continual relationship with you, our King. So God, we pray all these things in your Son's name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.